This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast where franking isn't Sinatra and where temper trap is replaced by a yield trap. My name's Andrew Page, and with me is Scott Phillips. G'day, Andrew. G'day, fools. Thanks for joining us. Scott, today it's all about dividends. All about them. And we're making the case here that they aren't just for retirees. They're not just for your great aunt Flo. It's a really important part of market-beating investing, and they have some really crazy tax benefits as well. Bring it on. So we're going to highlight a few things today. We're going to talk about DRIPs or DRPs. The plumber's favorite. Dividend reinvestment plans. Why should you love it? We'll also talk a bit about the yield trap. You know, you should be scared of a honey trap. Well, maybe you also need to worry about the yield trap as well. And everyone's favorite topic, <laughs> tax, tax, tax. It's a beautiful tax advantage. Uh, and let's we'll, we'll tease that apart as well. So the Scott, record is not so much tax as everyone's favorite topic. It's the tax deduction, the tax saving, the tax benefits of fully frank dividends. Who doesn't love a good tax deduction? Let's hey? get into it. So let's start with these things called DRPs. So... Another Come, acronym. We love an acronym we, in finance, don't we? we? What, where would we be without acronyms <laughs> in this game? NFI. <laughs> well, well, WTF. Well. All right. So um, so companies, some companies yes. pay, pay dividends. They do. And some of those companies that pay dividends will say, yeah, instead of giving you some cash, if you want, we'll give you some more shares. Right. Should you do it? That's a great question. Look, the answer is maybe. Yes. <laughs> like like, like anything, anything. Right, like anything in investing, there's a, bit of, there's a bit of both. Let's go through some of the key advantages, though, of, of DRPs, of, of dividend reinvestment plans. Basically, as you said, Andrew, normally you would get to a situation where a company would pay you a dividend in cash. Yep. So you, you own shares in BHP. Mm-hmm. Here's your 100 bucks worth of dividend. They don't pay a dividend anymore. They do, but do not they? much. Oh, okay. You take that money and you say, thanks very much, put it in the bank account. And then you've got to go and reinvest that money somewhere else, or you're maybe tempted to save it. Maybe you've got to do something else. If you have a DRP, there's a couple of key advantages. The first thing is it lets you automatically compound your money. Ask anybody who bought Commonwealth Bank shares when it was listed and simply just said, I want the dividend, I'll reinvest those dividends automatically. Now, it's the same thing. You could literally take the money, then reinvest it for yourself, mm. but the company will do it on your behalf. It's simply just easier that way for them, easier for you. You increase your exposure to that company by getting extra shares every time they pay you a dividend. And so you've got extra shares, so yep. which means next time there's a dividend, you get even bigger dividend, which you means you get more shares, which means you get a bigger... You know, it takes a little while to, That's to, the to, to start cooking, but once yep. it does, man, it is a thing of absolute beauty. You got it. There's some other benefits too. A lot of companies will give you a discount on those shares as well. So if the market price is a dollar, they may allow you to buy shares or through the dividend reinvestment plan yes. on your behalf automatically for maybe 97 cents. So you get a lovely little discount there Money as for well. And there's no brokerage fee. So you don't have to make those guys a little bit richer, which, win, is, win, which win. is always a nice thing. The other uh, thing is it happens automatically. I, I know plenty of people, unfortunately, not plenty, maybe too many, who, who get the dividend paid in, their, in the bank account. Now you yep. think about you know, your transaction account at home, your salary goes in, the ATM card's linked to it, mm-hmm. the dividends get paid and you get dividends, hundred bucks from BHP, it goes in that account and you think, I really got to reinvest that money. I want to make my money compound. I'm going to reinvest it. And you've kind of planned to, but you don't quite ever get around to it. At the end of the month, you kind of have as much money as you thought you would. So the hundred bucks comes in really handy, except you never quite get back to it. Yeah. And you know it's, what? It's a forced investment of sorts, the DRP, isn't it? When you think about what dividends have done over time, dividends are up to half of the total investment return you get from shares. Yeah. If you take that back out of the mix, if you don't reinvest those dividends, you are falling a long, long way behind. Compounding, we've talked about so many times, if you don't reinvest those dividends either manually or automatically, you are falling miles, miles behind where you otherwise could be. So having it done automatically for you removes the temptation and frankly, it removes the self-discipline required yep. for making sure you put that money back into new shares. Now, it's uh, it's not all uh, muffins and rainbows. Not all they're, beer and Skittles. You know, they're, they're, there are a downside. Muffins and rainbows. I made that up. Okay. Uh, it'll, it'll catch you. <laughs> 
I'm sure there's some kind of saying there. Anyway, um, uh, so I don't do it. I don't do it. And even though I think they're a great You just thing, told me how good they are. Well, I think there's some huge benefits for it, but, but there's a couple of Fuck. downsides. Go on. The first one is it's a nightmare from a tax perspective. So when you eventually sell your shares, you have to tell the tax office what you paid for them. Right. So you probably knew what you what you bought them for originally. Yep. But every time you get shares through a dividend reinvestment plan, they've got a nominal price attached to it as well. So you fast forward five years, you've got your initial purchase. And then because companies pay dividends twice a year, you've probably got 10 other tiny little purchases all done at different things. And if you haven't kept good records, you're going to tear your hair out. It's a bit of a nightmare. That's like a lot of paperwork. It is. So it's a bit messy like that. I'm going to say though, Andrew, that I think that's a that's a potential yeah, downside of a DRP. But with a little bit of effort and a little bit of kind of Oh, it's easy planning. to get around. Right. You yeah, can but kind of, pe- you people are people. You know, know, and know we're all lazy. And- I just don't want to discourage our, our listeners from doing it. I think it's worth doing, but it's one of those things you need to make sure if you're going to do it, you do keep those tax records. Well, it's it's, it's not the main reason I don't. For me, it's I'm, I'm a huge uh, proponent of compounding and reinvesting. The difference is I prefer to do it myself. So when it's I get- It's all some, about you, Andrew. It's totally all about me. <laughs> so, when, so when I get cash from my dividends- um, uh, you know, I will I will look to reinvest it. But the great thing about doing it manually, even though I'm going to have to pay a bit of brokerage, even though I might not get a discount, yep. I don't have to reinvest it in the same company. I can reinvest it in another company in my portfolio that maybe I need to, to boost up the weighting on. So I've got a lot more discretion in terms of when and where I reinvest that capital. So last week we talked about opportunity cost. This is kind of an opportunity cost of sorts, right? You're saying, well, if I was forced to take a DRP and reinvest those BHP dividends in BHP at $38, for mm. example, which the price was not that long ago, yep. now they're $24, you'd be thinking, gee, I wish I'd taken that money in cash and invested it in something else that I thought was a better opportunity. Right. You're basically maximizing your potential returns by every time you take the cash saying, where should I put that money to give me the best possible future return? Yep. And it's likely not, well, by definition, if every, every one of 10 or 20 companies in your portfolio had a DRP, yes. one of those, two of those, three of those 20 are going to be better investments than the other 17. Yep. And if you can put your money towards the better ideas, you'll be better off. Yeah. And that's, that's really the main reason why it just gives me, it gives me that chance that, you know, once or twice a year, I can sort of reweight things in the portfolio. Something might, I, I want a bit more of, perhaps the one that's paying the dividend. I don't need any more of that. Yeah, so right. I, I think it gives you a bit more finer control and, and I'd avoid all the tax sort of mess as well at the same time. Let me put a really quick add in here, Andrew, for people to set up their own investment transaction account. Oh yeah. Whether you sure. do it, yeah. so I'm with Comsec, Commonwealth have a, a direct investment account, they call it. Yep. When you're investing, set up a different account just for your dividends yep. and to put in your monthly saving you're going to invest before you actually invest it. Mm. If you leave money in your transaction account until you're ready, as we said before, you'll lose the dividend. And frankly, yeah. even the money you were planning to invest, I've got a thousand bucks in my account, I really must buy some shares with that. Mm. Except next week you buy a new toy, the new iPhone's out or something else and you spend a bit of that and a bit more and a bit more. You never get around to it. If you regularly put some savings from your transaction account when your salary gets paid or your wage gets paid, put transfers money from there into a very specific investment account, have your dividends paid into that same account and lock that away, put a wall up and say money goes in, but it never ever comes out. If you keep doing that and keep reinvesting that money, you'll do really well. So please, please, fools, as you're listening to this, if you don't already have one, please sit up at a separate independent individual investment account and don't ever take money out of it unless you absolutely, absolutely, absolutely have to. Mm-hmm. And an iPhone doesn't have to. <laughs> or a pair of new shoes. Okay. Indeed. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The yep. next one we want to talk about is this thing called the yield trap. What's a yield trap, Scott? A yield trap isn't quite like a honey trap. A honey trap you should be careful, Bob. But a yield trap you should be careful of as well. A yield trap is where you fall into the the trap, funnily enough, of believing that something that is too good to be true is too good to be true. So think about paying, you know, 
we, we all get seduced by great deals. Yeah. If I offer you a half price deal on a, on a, on a you know, new pair of pants, you'll go, that sounds like a great deal. I'll take it. Yeah. Dividends work the reverse way. If someone came to you and said, Andrew, I've got a 20% yield for you. Do you want, do you want my 20% yield? Well, I want a 20% yield, but so I'm going to be a little skeptical. Right. And you should be because there literally would be too good to be true. Yeah. And so the market's not that inefficient, right? Where it's going to leave that kind of money sitting on the proverbial table. When dividends are, are put in the paper, when they're on your brokerage account, when they're talked about in the press, you'll see someone say, oh, BHP is paying a 10% dividend. What they're doing is they're comparing last year's dividend against the current share price. Yep. Now, that's normally a decent enough well, if, idea. Well, if, if it pays the same dividend out next year, that, that is exactly the yield you're going to get. And that's the challenge. So last year, when it, when it was paying that dividend, BHP was probably a 5% yield, but yep. the price has probably fallen since. Mm. And it's fallen in large part because the market realizes that dividend is not sustainable, which is exactly what happened with BHP. Right. They basically said, well, look, we can't pay that yield anymore. We're really sorry. We're going to have to cut it. Yep. Now, for a while there, the market knew that was going to happen. Yep. So the shares were sold off quite dramatically, quite frankly, because mm. dividend was going to be cut and profit was going to fall. Yep. So the market's going, okay, I expect the next dividend to be much lower. So the share price fell from 38 to at one point, 16 or 17 bucks. It looked like a really great dividend yield if you looked at the historical yield only, the historical dividend yep. you were getting paid. Yep. The problem was that was never going to be continued. And those people who bought BHP as a, as a yield stock because, hey, who could not pass up a 6 or 7% yield, whatever it was, yep. were sorely, sorely mistaken when all of a sudden BHP announced, as the market expected, yeah, sorry guys about the dividend. It's going to be cut almost in half. Yeah. And as that happens, that yield drops really, really fast. And when you bought BHP for the yield, the shares fell and then you didn't get the dividend. You kind of got the worst of both worlds. And there's another dimension to the yield trap as well. And that is that someone very sensibly says, hey, I want, some, I want a good income. Um, shares are a great way to get that. Yep. Company A is paying a 7% yield. Company Bye. B is paying a 3% yield. It's a no-brainer, company right? A. You're going to go for company A. Yep. Now, excluding the circumstance you just talked about there where the dividend gets cut, yes. it may actually be that the lower yielding company is going to give you a far better income return. In that case, Andrew, I'll give you a 3% pay rise rather than 7% pay rise. <laughs> whoa, 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 Deal? Whoa, whoa. No, 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 no. <laughs> let, let me, let me, ex me, let me explain me. a little bit more. Here. So the other thing you've got to remember is that dividends, at least from the good companies, tend to grow over time, right? So if you've got mm. a company that's always paying out, say, 60% of its earnings, mm -hmm. and those earnings are growing like the clappers, they're growing at 15, 20% per year, right. the, even though your starting yield is relatively lower, it is going to overtake that higher yielding one and, and slower growing one very, very quickly. So yes, obviously year one, company A is a better bet. Year two, it's probably still the same way. Go out sort of about five years. And these are really the kind of timeframes you need to be working with when yep. you're investing in the share market. And it may well be that that company with the lower yield has actually just blown that other one out of the water. We have, don't take my word for it, go back uh, 10 years, look at some of the property trusts. They're all offering six or seven yeah. percent. And you had, you know, these CSLs and the flight centers or maybe flight centers, not a good example today, but you know, a bunch of companies where the yields were very low, but because mm. those earnings were going so strongly and because mm. the, the dividends were being lifted, when you add up all of your dividends over that period pound for pound you've gotten a far better return there so i guess what we're saying here bottom line is is that yield is important but growth matters too and a lovely rule of thumb is to take your yield and add it to the your estimate of the average type of growth so again this is again a rule of thumb but if you're looking at something that's growing at five percent is offering you a three percent yield mm -hmm. that adds up to eight percent mm -hmm. it's probably better than a company that's offering you a six percent yield but is only growing at one percent right which, which adds up to seven yeah that's a really good point i think i think you know if you're if you're an income investor now if you're already retired and you absolutely need the maximum possible yield and you have to forego some growth because you just desperately need the cash right now today yep. there's a very real reason why you might take the high yielding stock sure. as long as that yield is sustainable andrew which is your point yep. 
other than in that situation, you really want to be maximizing the long-term returns from your money, including the benefits of compounding, as we said multiple times. Yeah. A company like Domino's, for example, the shares have gone from six bucks to 70 bucks over time. Mm. So now you've got a tenfold return, but the dividend's gone absolutely through the roof. If you'd have bought Domino's on a 1% yield at, at, at six bucks, oh, that dividend's gone up dramatically. I don't know the numbers, but it must be 15, 20% a year. Not only is it a very large number that. now, yeah, yeah. but it's still growing at really strong rates. So you're going yeah. to get, not only is the yield great, but you're getting better and better and better cash over time. Because you've got to fight inflation. You've got to fight the, the need for f- literally spending some of that cash. And if you can get 100 bucks in dividends today, 110 next year, 125 the year after that, 140 the year after that, that has to really grow nicely. So the amount of money you're getting really will grow faster, as you've already pointed out, Andrew. If you have a growing company with a decent yield, over a company that doesn't grow with a slightly better one. Yep, look at the yield, but don't just look at the yield Perfect. alone. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Finally, uh, so there's this lovely thing called the dividend imputation system. Oh, sounds I'm asleep already. Super exciting, but it is. And I'm, I'm here to tell you you should get excited about it. It's I'm going to have imputations exciting tattooed on my arm. <laughs> You're going to get a lot of make a lot of friends that way. It's it's um it's also called dividend franking, and people probably heard of this. So when you see a dividend yield, it's I it's, love frank on the other arm. <laughs> yeah, I love it. So it, it'll say something like, uh, "I say four percent yield, fully franked, right. or three percent yield, partially franked." What the hell does that mean? It's a good question. In fact, some of our US colleagues who used to proofread some of our stuff before we published it used to uh, used to genuinely ask what the hell this frank guy is and what, why, why it was fully franked rather than partially franked. Look, it, dividend imputation is a really great system. Australia is one of only two or three countries in the world that has it. Yep. And it basically stops the double taxation of dividends. Yep. And what that means is if your company is paid tax on the dividend, you don't have to. Because at the end of the day, a company is just a structure that holds your interest in a particular operation. Yep. So if you own BHP shares, you own a very, very small fraction of every mine and truck and office building and you know iron ore in the ground and on trucks and trains, you own a small part of BHP's entire business. Yeah. If it pays tax on those earnings, effectively it's paying it on your behalf because you own it. So you yep. shouldn't have to pay those, those that tax twice. Yep. Now, most countries, they do have to pay it twice. The US, the UK, most countries, the company will pay 30% corporate tax mm. and then you'll pay tax at your marginal rate. And mm. you kind of think, well, hang on. Double tax. 30% yeah. tax at the company rate, then maybe 30% at my rate? Like, how is that fair? Government's getting two bites of the cherry, aren't they? You got it. Yeah. So Paul Keating back in the day said, that's ridiculous and, and one of the better things he ever did. Basically taking away that system by allowing us to get credit for the tax that's been paid on our behalf. Mm. What that actually in, in effect means is if you've got a company that's paying, say, I'll make it easy for myself, call it 3.5%, a 3.5% yield, and it's fully franked, it's the equivalent of getting a 5% yield in your hands that you're then paying tax on. So you gross it up to allow for the tax already been paid on your behalf. So if you say a a 3% rental yield and a 3% interest rate in the bank and a 3% dividend yield that's fully franked, Mm. even though they're all 3%, the other two don't carry the tax benefit that shares do. If you're on a 30% tax rate, you'll pay almost no tax. If you're on a 0% rate inside super, for example, or in a pension, mm-hmm. or if you're on a lower tax bracket, 15% bracket, something like that, you'll actually get money back from the ATO so on top of your dividend. Yeah, it's so if, let's say if you're, if you're on an SMSF, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of our listeners will have it, even if you're just in, in, in general, um, in, a, in a normal super fund, mm-hmm. you get a hundred bucks worth of dividends from the company. Yep. If you're on a zero tax rate, the ATO will send you a check for another 25 or 30 bucks. Yeah. And it's for, for nothing. Yeah. Now, you know, you get it back because again, the company's paid on your behalf. Yep. But you don't get that from cash in the bank. You don't get that from property. It's just another reason we love shares. This dividend imputation system, the franking system, call it what you will, 
gives you credit for the tax the company's paid on your behalf and lowers the tax you would otherwise have to pay on that income. So we talked last week a little bit about opportunity cost. And it's it's really important when making an investment to compare what other uses there are for your cash. Yes. And the reason I raise that now is that when you're, ever, as an income investor, looking at yields and you're going to compare that to what you might get as a rental yield in an investment property yep. or, or an interest rate you're going to get in a term deposit, yep. you do need to, quote unquote, gross up that dividend yeah. to account for what it is. Because if you want that apples with apples comparison, it's what you need to do. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you a heart attack here, Scott, but I'm oh, going to no. do a bit of maths on oh, air. Oh, no. All you need to do- Don't drive off the road, fools. All you need to do is, is take that yield, if yes. it's fully franked- So it's 3.5%. So it's 3.5% and divide that by 0.7. By 0.7. And that will take you to 5%. It will. And that will be the gross dividend that you are going to get. Right. So if I got 3%- interest in the bank yes and i was in the 30 percent bracket yes i take my three percent i have to pay 30 percent tax on the on the three percent yep so i end up with is it 2.1 called 2.1 so that's what i end up with after tax yep if you go to the same comparison with shares you got to gross it up to your points so your yes. three and a half becomes five, five. and you pay your 30 percent tax on that yes which is another one and a half cents you end up with 4.5 percent after tax mm -hmm. right so your three percent is actually four and a half relative to your 2.1 you would get in the cash in the bank both of the nominal three three and a half percent yield that's a really important distinction for us to understand the difference, the benefit you're getting from the tax that's being paid on your behalf and how it reduces the tax you have to pay at the end of the day. And again, any money not paid in tax is money you can keep and you can compound to generate future wealth for yourself, for your family. Now, another thing we have to stress before we, we, wrap, we wrap this up yes. is that uh, as with yield, you don't want to look at franking in isolation. No I, tax, see, I see it a lot. Um, I run the dividend service at Motley Fool and people will understandably say, hey, wait a second, this company doesn't pay a fully frank dividend. Yep. I'm not interested. <laughs> yeah. and, and and you get it, right? What, what is it about money that you hate, We've just explained that franking is really wonderful. Yeah. It's a huge benefit. Yep. But at the same time, it, it it's not in isolation. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, let's do another example here. Let's say I'm offering you, we'll make it easy. Yep. We'll make you a 10% unfranked dividend yes. or a 3% fully franked dividend. Yes. Which one do you want? The 10% unfranked dividend. Absolutely. It's because it's a but there's, no, but there's no tax benefit. There's no tax benefit, <laughs> but you've got all that matters is how much money is in your pocket at the end of the day. Right. So this is this is the story of people, you know, we've said before in this podcast ages ago, Andrew, it's worth repeating. I want to pay more tax. You want to pay more tax. We want to pay as much tax as we possibly can. Happy man if I had to pay a million bucks in tax. Right, because I mean we made a absolute crap load of money on the way through. You yeah. don't, you only pay you only pay tax the money you earn, right? Yeah. Now, of course, if you're paying a million dollars tax and you get away with half a million, you'll try and do what you can sure, legally to sure, do that. Totally. Yeah. But the reality is you've got to make sure the it's the after tax return that you count. Yes. If I get a if I get a ten percent yield and pay three three percent of that in tax, yep. I'm left with seven. Yes. If I get a three percent fully frank yield, that's four and a half percent. I'm getting almost double from the unfranked yield. And that's yeah. really, really important. Yeah. On the flip side, mm -hmm. one more one more before we finish off, the difference between a four percent unfranked yield and a 3.5% fully franked yield is also important. Yes, right. So those people who say, I want the best possible yield might say, I'll take the 4% unfranked rather than the 3.5% fully franked. Mm -hmm. And again, that would be a similar mistake because you're looking at the headline number and saying, I want the highest possible yield. Yes. Again, without including those tax benefits. Yeah. There's much more tax benefit. And so you look at some of the property trust, to your point, Andrew, um, some of them are offering, you know, 4 or 5%, and that looks pretty good compared yeah. to say a 35 or 4% from somewhere else. Yeah. But that's unfranked. And so if you can get a fully franked yield, once you gross it up, again, to your point, Andrew, always use the grossed up number to compare apples with apples with apples, yep. both across property classes, or asset classes, say so against property, against cash in the bank, but also between shares mm. to make sure you know what you're left with after tax. 
I think that wraps it up. That's enough maths. That's enough maths. Well, maybe we'll get into some more. We'll, we'll do some calculus <laughs> next week, will we? Differential French. equations. Okay, right. Uh, look, before we go, don't forget you can subscribe to Triple M's Motley Fool Money through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. And go to the website as well, triplem.com.au forward slash podcast. Please give us a five-star waiting, a five-star rating if you would be so kind. Thank you very much, Scott. Thanks, Andrew. Fall on. Fall on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.